So, good morning, everyone. Uh, thank you all for being here. We are in the middle of Second Peter, Peter the sequel, Peter 2, Peter also, whatever we've been calling it over the past couple of weeks. Um, and last week, Nick taught us that we need to remind ourselves of the power of God's word. Two weeks ago, Virgil taught us that our faith is precious, that we have everything that we need to live a godly life, not because of us or what we do, but because of God and God's excellence and God's virtue. And I use those words excellent and virtue because literally it's in scripture, but the word that it's translated from is the Greek word erite, which means excellence and virtue. And the only reason that I know that is because they talked about it on the Olympics. Erite, Greek word. Excellence, excellence and virtue. virtue. Where'd the echo come from? Yeah. <laughs> excellence and virtue. So there we go. Come on. Round of applause for the tech team. Yay. All right, come on. Now, I know that that's a razor-thin connection, but like the Olympics are happening right now. This is literally the only chance that we're ever going to have to use those five squares for the Olympics. Uh, by the way, we did not have circles in the budget uh, or the color black. I'm not sure if any of you noticed that. But anyway, thank you, tech team, for putting that together. So, also throughout this series, Peter has been telling us that he does not have much time left. He's very aware that he's about to be killed by Nero. So he doesn't have time to mess around here. He's getting down to the things that he really wants the church to know and carry with them that they may not have been told before. So uh, he's telling us this week about internal threats that we face in the church. And when I say in the church, I don't mean like literally like within our church. He's not even talking about the church that he attends. It's just church in general, the Christian church, the threats that we face. He's telling them what they need to know. So this week we're diving into, what we're diving into is gonna get very practical. Uh, he's telling us something can destroy us from within. And that is the teaching the teachers, the people like me, the people like Virgil, the people like Nick, the people like any of the guest speakers that we've had. There was a guy named Josh that was here a long time ago, the people like him, that those people can destroy us from within. Um, I, could, <laughs> I could potentially be the biggest threat that this church has ever faced, okay? And I don't carry that lightly. I pray that I am not. The reason that I do this is because of Jesus. And because of Jesus, I am for Jesus. What I've learned about him, that makes me for him. And when you're for something, you're automatically against something. That's a reality. If you're for God, you are against Satan. If you're for love, you are against hate. If you're for life, you are against murder. If you're for music, you're probably against Nickelback. I'm just saying, no, turn it off. Turn it off. Stop. Stop. <laughs> All right. 
Because I am for Jesus, I am for his teaching. Therefore, I am against those who would take that teaching and try to distort it. Those that would steal it and try to make it their own. So I find it an honor to come up here and talk about protecting scripture because it's valuable. And we protect the things that are valuable, right? Parents are extremely protective of their kids. We lock our houses at night to protect the things that are inside. We lock our phones so that family members don't ruin Wordle for the day. We protect things because stealing and thieves exist. There's only two ways to get something, either earning it or stealing it. And people try to steal things that are valuable. And false teachers, Satan, demons, they come to steal the things that God has given us. So what we're getting into here in Second uh, Peter is a man and a pastor that has dedicated all of himself to ministry and knows that he's nearing the end of his life. And his instructions to you are not to let anyone take truth from you or to twist that truth. At the end of chapter one, he tells us that you can trust the Bible. In chapter three, which we haven't gotten to yet, he's going to tell us again, you can trust the Bible. But right here in chapter two, which is where we're spending our time today, in chapter two, he's saying you can trust the Bible, but you cannot touch or trust everyone that teaches it. You can't. Of course you can trust the Bible, but you can't trust everyone that teaches it to you. You can't trust people that'll twist it and use it to push their own beliefs and steal the people that God loves. So now here we are. We are in 2 Peter. We're going to go through that entire chapter today, verse by verse, because when I'm writing it, that was all that I could do was break it down verse by verse. And we may as well just call this God creates Satan embezzles, because that's what happens. Verse 1, there were also false prophets in Israel, just as there will be false teachers among you. I'm going to pause there before we move on any farther. Just pay attention to the tense. There were false prophets in Israel just as there will be false teachers among you. There will be. So do we have false teachers among us in our society today? Yes, of course we do. Let's move on. They will cleverly teach destructive heresies. That phrase I'm going to come back to. Destructive heresies and even deny the master who bought them. In this, well, in this way, they will bring sudden destruction on themselves. Many will follow their evil teaching and shameful immorality. And because of these teachers, the way of truth will be slandered. In their greed, they will make up clever lies to get a hold of your money. But God condemned them long ago, and their destruction will not be delayed. Many will follow their own slandered teaching. Many will take what was once an opinion as gospel truth. The truth will be maligned. It will be distorted. And many followers won't know what is the way of truth. Because these two different things being preached, one the truth and one very similar to it but slightly twisted, they sound a lot alike. They sound very similar. God has real prophets 
and God has real teachers. The real prophets tell people what the future will be and the real teachers prepare people for it. They prepare God's people for it. The false prophets will tell you of a future that is not God's intention. One that isn't based on scripture. So Peter is addressing teachers that warp scripture here in this chapter. Teachers that are interested in their own greed or their own lust or their own prosperity or their own opinions. Something as small as getting this point across because they feel like it wasn't covered quite well enough. Now you may ask yourself, why is Peter qualified to teach this? Why is he qualified to cover false teachers, to teach on those who appear to be believers but push an agenda that is at odds with the gospel. And if you've learned anything about Jesus and his disciples and their time together, you'd understand that Peter knows a lot about what it's like to have a snake living among them. He's very familiar. Maybe he's been with someone who appeared to have changed by the word of God, but deep down did not change at all. I'm talking about Judas, if you haven't picked it up yet. Maybe he's experienced someone being so secretive and deceptive and covert, someone who stole from Jesus and the disciples. Literally stole, not, you know, like, and, like took their words and stole them and tried to make them, make them his words or whatever. Literally stole from them. It's in scripture. It's John chapter 12. It says, then Mary took a 12 ounce jar of expensive perfume and she anointed Jesus's feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, that perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole for himself. We forget that little detail. He was literally a thief and literally stealing from Jesus and from the disciples, often, is what scripture tells us. So yes, he deceived them regularly. He heard the sermons, he heard the teachings, he sat, he took notes next to everyone else, but he wasn't changed by them. And with the exception of Jesus, nobody else there was the wiser. Nobody else there knew. And that continues today. There have been things taught from other churches over the centuries. There have even been things that have been taught from this stage here today that have made it onto a person's notebook but never made it into that person's heart. Judas knew everything that Jesus taught. He just didn't agree with it all. And this is how false teaching works. It starts by just entering in with the original teaching and then bringing in what verse 1 calls destructive heresies. So I want to break down that phrase real quick. Destructive heresies. You know in church that something is destructive when all of a sudden in a certain group or in a small group or maybe within your family or a group of Christian friends, maybe even an entire church, things suddenly start to become us versus them. There's this unnatural division that takes place. It becomes our side versus their side. Or there's cliques and infighting and factions. And then suddenly this place 
is no longer a joyful place to be anymore. It's become destructive. Now the word heresies, that one gets thrown around a lot today. Um, We could spend a lot of time on it, so I'll just be quick here. We do this thing in our youth group uh, that I call explain it like I'm five. And basically what it means is pretend that I know nothing about this topic whatsoever and explain it to me like I'm five years old. Because I don't know if you could tell, but I'm graying, I'm getting older. Um, I'm starting to not connect with a lot of things that students are interested in. So I honestly have to get to a point where I'm like, I'm sorry, explain this to me like I'm five. Why is that something that you enjoy? And then they would have to explain it to me. This past Thursday at our middle school group, we literally did this uh, in our boys' small group. I was like, I'm sorry, explain this to me like I'm five. What is the point of dating in middle school? I don't get it. And God bless that group of boys because their answer was, there is literally no reason to date in middle school. So round of applause to them. Whether they meant it or not, I don't know. But that's, yes, bravo to them. Um, But honestly, here we go. The word heresy. Explain it to me like I'm five. Heresy is a belief or an opinion that is contrary to God's word. Notice that it does not say a belief or an opinion that is contrary to your belief or your opinion. Just because someone doesn't agree with your opinion doesn't make them a heretic. If you personally don't like something and you try to bind people according to your morals and your conscience, then you're actually the one that's doing what scripture instructs you not to do. Destructive heresies, opinions or beliefs contrary to God's that people hear, believe, and then base their lives on. Then within the church, division is created, therefore lives are permanently changed as a result. But we are assured in verse 3 that God will not let their destruction be delayed. He condemned them long ago. And what better hands than his to handle them? Right? Peter continues to address these threats in verse 4. He says, For God did not spare even the angels who sinned. He threw them into hell in gloomy pits of darkness, where they were being held until the day of judgment. I'm going to pause there. The angels who sinned. Have you ever paid attention to this before? Do you guys know this reference? The angels who sinned? I'm going to come back to that. And God did not spare the ancient world, except for Noah and the seven others in his family. Noah warned the world of God's righteous judgment. So God protected Noah when he destroyed the world of ungodly people with a vast flood. We all know that story, right? We're very familiar with that. We've seen Evan Almighty. Later, God condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, And turned them into heaps of ashes. He made them an example of what will happen to ungodly people. But God also rescued Lot out of Sodom. Because he was a righteous man. Okay. Because Lot was a righteous man. Who here has read the story of Lot before? Have you ever considered Lot to be a righteous man? From our perspective... But scripture is telling us that Lot was a righteous man. So we're going to get into that as well. Lot was a righteous man 
who was sick of the shameful immorality of the wicked people around him. And then as if you needed a reminder, yes, Lot was a righteous man who was tormented in his soul by the wickedness that he saw and heard day after day. So when talking about false teachers, Peter gives us three examples from the Old Testament where God meets rebellion with his justice. The first is rebellious angels. In Genesis 6, we are told of the sons of God. And that phrase, sons of God, is used in the book of Job to almost exclusively identify angels. Genesis 6 tells us that angels, the sons of God, saw and liked the daughters of men and took wives from the human race. They abandoned their holy authority and demonstrated sinful pride, and that earned them God's judgment, which we just went through. Peter then recaps the story of the flood. Genesis 6 tells us that he looks at the inclination of man's heart and that it was only evil all of the time. And that made him grieve. There's a phrase that I use a lot in student ministry that is just, true character is who you are behind closed doors. You are one way to everyone that you see, but when you get home and you're by yourself, that's what your true character is. Here's another way to phrase it. When God looks at humanity, he not only hears the words and sees the deeds, but he knows the motives of the heart. And naturally, a father will see his children self-destructing, and it will grieve him to his soul. And we know the rest of that story. Then Peter tells us the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. These were two cities that were geographically next to each other, and each were built on sin and rebellion and self-indulgence. And that's what makes false teaching so popular. It teaches self-indulgence. And Sodom and Gomorrah, those cities made a profit on sin and on self-indulgence. God even sent angels down to see what was happening in the city. And the people, the men in that city, wanted to sexually assault the angels. Just to give you an idea of how bad that self-indulgence had gotten. Whether it's a city or a person, if you show God that that is not going to change... God will end it. And then in verse 9, it says, So you see, the Lord knows how to rescue godly people from their trials, even while keeping the wicked under punishment until the day of final judgment. Each of those three stories, when God does show his judgment, guess what else happens? He delivers his people. When God shows his judgment, he delivers his people. Let's go on. These false teachers are like unthinking animals, creatures of instinct born to be caught and destroyed. They scoff at things they do not understand, and like animals, they will be destroyed. Their destruction is their reward for the harm that they have done. They love to indulge in evil pleasures in broad daylight. They are a disgrace and a stain among you. They delight in deception even as they eat with you in your fellowship meals. They commit adultery with their eyes, and their desire for sin is never satisfied. They lure unstable people into sin, and they are well-trained in greed. They live under God's curse. They have wandered off the right road and followed the footsteps of Balaam, son of Baor, who loved to earn money by doing wrong. 
But Balaam was stopped from his mad course when his donkey rebuked him with a human voice. Okay, do you guys know the story of Balaam, son of Baor? Oh, it's so much fun. Have you not read it before? That's so good. Uh, I'll just recap it real quick. Uh, The reason that they say that uh, he loved to earn money by doing wrong, he was what you would call like a prophet for hire, okay? He would go and prophesy and say it's on behalf of the Lord uh, for the right amount of money, okay? Evil, whatever you want to call it. Um, And he was on his way. He was going to be paid a large sum of money to go and curse Israel, to try to scare that army off, and God would not let it happen. He's riding there on his donkey, and God makes the donkey lay down in the middle of the road and stop, okay? This is a crazy, crazy story. Oh, it's such a good story, though. Lays down in the middle of the road. He has no idea what's going on, Balaam, so he starts hitting the donkey like, hey, come on, let's go. What's the deal? Donkey doesn't move. Hits him a second time. Nothing happens. Hits him a third time. God moves the donkey's head so that it turns and looks at Balaam and then opens the donkey's mouth and has the donkey say, why are you striking me three times? If that's not out of a horror movie, I don't know what is. And if that's not going to change your mind about your path, I don't know what will. Honestly, if, that, if it's not a horror movie, maybe it's Shrek. I'm not sure what your frame of reference is with donkeys. Okay, but just imagine it. You hit the donkey and it just turns around slowly. Why do you, oh my gosh, that's terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying. And that is just an example of the things that God does to let us know that we were on the wrong path and that we've wandered off of the right road. If you want to check it out, it's Numbers chapter 22 through 24. It's good stuff. Anyway, I digress, back to the story. So Peter's telling us in chapter 17, he says, these people are as useless as dried up springs or as mist blown away by the wind. They are doomed to the blackest darkness. They brag about themselves with empty, foolish boasting, with an appeal to twisted sexual desires. They lure back into sin those who have barely escaped from a lifestyle of deception. He's not mincing words. Everything that he's saying here, he's speaking very, very strong. Okay? This is kind of like a darker section of scripture, very important to cover, but clearly he's trying to let us know, like, these people do not have a good end in sight, and that these people, yes, they absolutely exist. We live in an age where we can look up any pastor in the world that we want to look up online, and we can learn from any pastor that we want to, but we have to be able to discern what we're learning. A good frame of reference is, are they actually using scripture? Like, how much are they using scripture or are they speaking out of their own opinion? So Peter connects the stories that we heard earlier from the Old Testament to the false teacher's corrupt way of life. Because they too, after money, or they're after money and they're after sex, they hate God's authority and they claim that God doesn't care about your moral decisions. They use a message of freedom and they use that message of freedom to live however they choose to live. But in reality, they are not free. They are just slaves to their sin. Verse 19 says, they promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves of sin and corruption. For you are a slave to whatever controls you. 
You're only free if you cannot control, or if you can control yourself. If you cannot stop drinking, you are not free from alcohol. If you're not married and you can't stop having sex, then you're not free. You're addicted to lust. You're a slave to it. God loves us and he doesn't want to see us addicted to anything, to sex, to alcohol, to porn, to gambling, to drugs. It's all addiction. And man, if that isn't the language of Satan that I'm using right there, he promises freedom and he delivers slavery. He promises happiness and he delivers depression. He promises life and he delivers death. Verse 20 says, when people escape from the wickedness of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and then get tangled up and enslaved by sin again, they're worse off than before. It would be better if they had never known the way to righteousness than to know it and reject the command that they were given to live a holy life. So this brings me right back to Judas. Judas was judged more harshly because Judas knew a lot. Judas traveled with Jesus. Judas learned from Jesus. And what he knew should have compelled him to change and to trust in his Lord and Savior. People think that just showing up here is enough on Sunday mornings. But if you don't know him, if you don't trust in him, as you know that you should, and you're actually increasing the amount of things that you're accountable for, now, this is the last verse of the chapter, okay? This is the send you home happy thing. So that's what I'm gonna do, okay? It's been a little dark, I'm gonna admit it. Uh, we're gonna send everybody home happy. This is gonna be our nice, happy moment to close things out on. Are you ready? You guys are gonna go have lunch. This is gonna be great. <laughs> last verse. A dog returns to its vomit. <laughs> Can you imagine if I just ended it like that? <laughs> A dog returns to its vomit. God bless, guys. I'll see you next week. No, seriously, full verse. Um, they prove the truth of this proverb. A dog returns to its vomit, and another says, a washed pig returns to the mud. So anyone looking for that nice, neat ending that you're so accustomed to getting, it's not in this verse, okay? It's actually in the entire chapter. Um, if you've chosen this way, you have failed, People who teach in direct opposition to what Scripture teaches, they failed. Those who slander the truth, those who promise freedom by living however you please, they failed. And they have already been condemned. What Jesus does is he gives us new desires so that we don't return to sin once we've learned of his truth. And it's a really good illustration if you think about it. A dog returns to its vomit. I mean, once I've thrown something up, I, I don't go back to it. I have a story that I tell in student ministry that some students know, not all of them do, about me getting sick, eating spaghetti when I was four years old. I'll never eat it again. And the story is so traumatizing, it has made a couple of kids sick on road trips. I didn't even have to tell the story that, yeah, this is signaling no. I didn't even have to tell, this is, a, this is true. I didn't even have to tell the story this morning. I literally just say, a dog returns to its vomit, there's a service dog up here in the second row, threw up. That happened. Harold had to clean it. 
God bless him wherever he is. Peter's life, it is coming to an end here. And he knows it. He's reflecting on false teachers. And we know that he himself spent a lot of time with one in Judas. And man, Judas and Peter, those are two disciples that just really screwed up royally. Peter and Judas. But there's a difference between them. One of them never changed his ways up until the end of his life. The other went out and wept bitterly in repentance. And when Peter's faith was insufficient for that moment, God's forgiveness was more than enough for him. So here's three points that I want to close with this morning. First, God is more than enough. John 3.16 says that because God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. So whoever believes in him wouldn't perish, but would have eternal life. So if you believe, you will have eternal life. I take that very seriously. This church takes that very seriously. Here's something else that you should take seriously with that. Nowhere in scripture does it say that you can come to Christ and live however you want to live. Can't live however you want to live and claim to be a Christian. If you continue to choose sinful ways once you've learned this truth, then you're the one that's proving that proverb right about a dog returning towards vomit. Second point, God deals with the wicked. So maybe we should stop trying to make that our job. Right? God deals with the wicked. In Psalms, there's this verse where, uh, really a story, where David uh, is in the middle of a prayer. He's praying a prayer, asking God, like, where are you? Why are you doing nothing right now to these wicked people that surround me and wish me dead? Um, Why does God hide far away while the wicked are thriving? And then, like, in his next breath, mid-prayer still, David says that the wicked believe that God has hidden from the world. And then he kind of has this realization, like, oh my gosh, I just said and believed the same thing that the wicked believe. That God hides from us. And it's this realization, it all comes to him while he's praying. And the point of that story is this, do not count out God by trying to deal with the wicked yourself. God deals with the wicked. Third point, God knows how to preserve his people. And that should be of the greatest importance to all of us. In each of these stories, God preserves his people. He preserved Noah and his family because they knew him and he loved them. He loves you the same way by sending Jesus to die for your sins. And in doing that, he's preserved us who believe in him. And if you go back to Sodom and Gomorrah, remember the whole thing about Lot being righteous? I mean, if you've ever read that story, I, I don't get righteous man from reading that, but he's referred to twice as a righteous man. Some translations even call him uh, righteous Lot. That's their, uh, that's their description of him. It's like a title. I don't know about you, but to me, Lot was never righteous. But this is the point. If God can call Lot righteous, doesn't it give you hope that God would call us that as well? In spite of everything that you've done, in spite of your sin, in spite of the poor choices that you've made and how you've influenced other people, 
that we might someday be known as righteous. Because righteousness is found in Jesus Christ. So I pray that this morning you are found in Jesus Christ as well. Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you for, uh, thank you for this message. Thank you for this morning uh, and for everyone that's here to hear it. I know that this topic doesn't really get spoken about that much, Lord, but um, I just pray that as we leave here that you give us all the discernment that when we hear preachers to know what is being preached, to know if it's the true gospel or if it's false and for another purpose. We just lift this up in your son's name. Amen.